The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you, worship team, for uh, leading us. It is uh, so great that we're adjusting to how to do uh, church COVID-19 style, and uh, we all look forward to that changing or ending. And this morning, as Kevin has uh, shared, we're going to have the sermon in kind of two parts. We're going to begin by just talking about the message, and then after the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, if you text a a question to that number that I'll put up again later, um, you're welcome to, uh, to ask a question, and we can respond perhaps before we conclude our service. This morning, we're going to read from two portions of Scripture, so if you have your Bibles, Uh, In the book of Genesis, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22 to start with, and then going to Hebrews and chapter 11. And again, we're talking about the the faith of Abraham. We've been on his life for a while, and this morning particularly, the focus of our message is on how God tests our faith. And so that is really where we want the, the cluster of questions to center around is, how is it that God tests our faith, and, and, and what are the things that we need to learn around that? So beginning in uh, chapter 22 of Genesis and verse 1, and hear the word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took uh, two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket behind by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And now turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in 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 the act of offering up his only son, 
of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, now, as we pause to listen to your word, would you, by your Holy Spirit, search our hearts? And would you, O God, have your way within each of our minds? And would you help us, Lord, to find those places that you are specially wanting to test us in so that we might be able to bring to you our whole lives? Bless this time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perhaps some of you have seen uh, these trucks that have a sign on the back of them that looks like this, where it says, uh, how's my driving? (laughs) It's not put on there by the driver, I'm sure. It's put on there by the company that owns the truck. And they're often very interested in just making sure that um, the driver is behaving himself. Um, I uh, saw this one online, uh, two men in a truck, and it says, movers who care, and They had a little trouble at the pumps one day. But if you'll look closely, it also says in the corner, how's my driving? (laughs) I actually was uh, on the way Friday to the office, and I didn't see this truck, but I I saw one like it, where on the back of the truck, the the numbers that you're supposed to call were smudged out. (laughs) And I'm wondering if the driver might have done that. How's my driving? And when I saw that on Friday morning coming to the office, I thought to myself uh, about Abraham and so many of the biblical characters that we read about. God has put them on display. I mean, they are in the Holy Scripture for all of us to look at. And uh, their their, uh, successes, their failures, the good things they do, their bad, how they walk in faith or don't. But is it really any different for any one of us? Is it any different for any one of us like Abraham? Are our lives not also on display every day? Do people not look at us and wonder about our faith? Um, our life story is not being put in the Bible like Abraham's was, but we are on display. And when we read in the Bible that God tested Abraham, or when we read that God tested Israel, or when we read that we can <clears throat> count it all joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith produces perseverance, we know that in those moments that God is talking about not necessarily everyday run-of-the-mill things that we face, but rather <clears throat> some of those special life situations that come some of the tests that come our way in circumstantial ways and relationships, some of the important losses, trials, persecutions, or moments. You know, it's both in the Old Testament Hebrew and in the New Testament Greek text where the words used for testing has to do with something that God designs or allows in our lives with the intent of finding out what we're made of, what our faith is made of. In fact, um, like a definition of testing is the means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined. And though in the Greek text there's two different words for test or testing, the one that I'm going to be mostly quoting and the most common one, pyrazo, is the one that speaks of this kind of testing. 
It is a testing that has to happen for us to see what's really down there, what's really uh, the faith we have is made of. <clears throat> and so somehow, God does this or allows this in our lives. God doesn't need it. He already knows the quality of our faith before the test. Oftentimes, of course, the test is for our sake. It is not that different than the metals that are put in all kinds of products that we buy. The metal has to be tested before it is actually proven trustworthy and used. And it has to see the stress and the strain. So also, we are tested to see how we are going to handle things. And um, the faith tests prove the faith muscle that we have in the circumstances of life. It would be like imagining living at a, at a station in space at zero gravity for months on end, and then all of a sudden coming back down to Earth and having to walk around. We know from experience that, that the astronauts that come back, their muscles have atrophied. They have to work so hard at getting back to their former strength. And that is what it is like. A faith test is a, it is a thing that enables us to really see the reality of our muscles. Uh, faith tests have the way of bringing us back down to earth, back to the reality of whether we really are trusting God or we're sort of leaning towards trusting in what he provides, whether we're actually possessing that which we profess about our faith in God. When I was a boy, <clears throat> excuse me, every summer my mom and dad made my brother and I and my sister when she was old enough to take swimming lessons. Wherever we lived, we would get up in the mornings on summer days and we'd trot off to the pool or the lake or wherever it was. And we had to take swimming lessons. And at that time, when I was a youth, a young boy, the very first stage of swimming was what was called beginners. I mean, and to, to pass your beginners, you went to classes and you learned and then at the end of the classes you got a badge. And to get your beginner's badge, you basically just had to swim so many yards in the water. It didn't even matter what, what uh, stroke you used in swimming. But I was so afraid of the water that I panicked every time. Every summer, the same thing, I would panic and I would just hold my breath, go underwater, swim underwater to wherever we had to go and come up. And every summer, Without fail, they would fail me, and I wouldn't get my badge, beginner's badge. Well, the last summer that I can remember doing this, I did something that I'm not very proud of. My brother and I had, had gone to swimming lessons. He got his badge. I failed, like normal. And on the way home, I said to him that uh, I, I convinced him not to rat on me when I told my mom and dad that I passed my beginners, but they ran out of badges. And uh, so, uh, sure enough, we did that, and um, I think they believed us, probably until they saw me trying to swim. And, uh, but I did confess that lie uh, years later. And uh, you see, the purpose of a test is to see what you're made of. Can you do it? it do you, what's the quality of what you're being tested in? And, and that's the same in Scripture. And let me just share with you uh, some examples in Scripture in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. It says, remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. Why? To know what was in your heart, it says. Deuteronomy 13.3, the Lord your God is testing you. Why? 
to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Judges 3, 4 says this, the Lord left those nations in the land of Canaan for the testing of Israel. Why? To know whether Israel would obey the commands of the Lord their God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, speaking about King Hezekiah, it says God left him to himself at one point. Why? Last half of the sentence, in order to test him to know all that was in his heart. In Genesis 22:12, the passage that we read about Abraham, it says God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Why? Because I know now that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. You see, the purpose of faith tests is to see what your faith is made out of. Indeed, is it mere lip service, or do you really trust in God as your Lord? James chapter 1, verse 3, it says that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. That word in Greek, hupomone, is this, remain, to remain under something. Perseverance is that ability to, to stand under whatever it is that God has put on you. The test will have a beginning, it will have an end, and you're to remain under it, to persevere. And that's testing how, how good is your faith, how strong is your faith in God. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it says that this life for a little while we've had to suffer grief in all kinds of tests or trials. Why? so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this testing of our faith is the normal part of being a child of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and verse 5, this idea of testing is linked with the idea of God's disciplining us as his children. And disciplining us is not something corrective or punitive. Discipline in the biblical concept in that context is something of just God guiding our course, making sure that we stay on track and don't get distracted. And so let's take a look now at Abraham. I call it the big three. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, whereas most Old Testament characters have one story told about them where they were an example of faith. Abraham has three stories told about him. And again, um, if you have a question during this time and you want to uh, text the question that I could respond to in the second half of the sermon, you're welcome to do that, 204-294-8455. Let's take a look at the three big uh, tests that Abraham went through. The first one is about Abraham requiring to, to move away from his father's homeland. It was a faith test that required a tremendous uprooting of, of Abraham and Sarah and uh, a moving to a brand new place, a transplanting, you might say, of their very life. And God would provide. And, he, and even said, go to the land that I will show you. It was a faith step to leave something not knowing where they were going to. Pat and I have had this kind of, of uh, faith test uh, several times in our married life, going to Nova Scotia to seminary, going to Thunder Bay to pastor, and then a big one going to Bolivia as our whole family, young children, 
to begin a new life and then coming back to Winnipeg and trusting that God had a, a church in Winnipeg for us because that's where we felt we needed to be called to with our parents at that time. I mean, God, God uprooted us and told us, go to the land that I will show you uh, several times in our lives. Maybe you can identify with that kind of a faith test. If you examine your journey, you might identify with that kind of an uprooting, a change in a job, in a life circumstance, in a transition. Radical, life-altering faith tests. The second one that we look at in Abraham's life has to do with a, a, a faith test that is very different. It's not an uprooting and going. It's not an active faith. It's a very passive, waiting faith. It's when God asked Abraham and Sarah, even at the age of 75, with no child of promise yet born, to just wait, trust. And in this kind of a faith test, God requires us to simply be patient, God requires us to trust Him and to align our lives in such a way that we won't try to take matters into our own hands. We won't try to fulfill the promise in our own strength. Maybe this is the kind of faith test that you identify with right now. You're waiting to see what's next. And God is saying, be patient for my timing. And the third kind of faith test that Hebrews describes in the life of Abraham is the kind that is, is about our scripture today, where Abraham was asked to go and to sacrifice his only son that God had given him after 25 years of waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And this is a sacrificial, giving over, giving up kind of faith. And this was a dilemma, you know it. It was a dilemma for, for Abraham and Sarah well, Abraham at least, it was a dilemma on the parental front, on the ethical front, on the theological front. This was a contradiction on so many areas. Why would God's promise now be contradicted with God's command to sacrifice? Abraham likely had been in a religious background with his forefathers that did practice child sacrifice. But he knew that this was completely opposed to what the God, the living God he was worshiping now, wanted. I like what F.F. F. Bruce says. He says the impression which we get from the biblical narrative is that Abraham treated it as God's problem. And it was for God and not for Abraham to reconcile his promise and his command. So when the command was given, Abraham promptly set about obeying it. His own duty was clear, and God could safely be trusted to discharge his responsibility in the matter. And that's what the writer of Hebrews interprets the whole event for us as in verse 19. He says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead if he needed to. And figuratively speaking, that's what happened. Isaac did get, was given back to him figuratively from the dead because he was ready to plunge the knife into his little body. Abraham's raised hand was stopped perhaps milliseconds before killing his son. God was faithful to reconcile his command and his promise. God was faithful in his time. It was a tremendous faith test. And I doubt that we will ever be asked to faith, face a faith test such as this. And I want to acknowledge today that some of you that may be listening and watching today faced a harder test than Abraham, for you have lost a child and, and God did not give them back to you. 
or you have never even been able to have children. And I want you to know that we understand that's got to be a faith test that's difficult. But the key common question in all of these faith tests like this is, can you treat the unanswered question and the dilemma and the problem that is being presented by circumstances as God's problem? Can you treat it as God's problem, not your problem? You're God's child. And you know that that any problem that faces a child is that parent's problem, not that child's problem. Can you trust God with that problem? You know how the story resolves. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, we read that Abraham was interrupted by an angel of the Lord. And when he looked up, he saw a ram caught in a thicket in the underbrush. He unbound Isaac. And together they took that ram and they offered it on the altar. And the name that was used that day of God was Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. God is the Lord who provides. What an incredible God he is. God our provider. This Old Testament story, of course, is is an incredible foreshadowing, a type of what God would do in the New Testament when he sent his son to the cross and offered him up as a sacrifice for us all. And just for a moment, I want to uh, take you down a little road of comparison before we transition ourselves to think about the Lord Jesus' death and when we take time to gather at his table to receive the bread and the cup. I want you to just think about the similarities between Isaac and Jesus. There was a long period of anticipation waiting for Isaac to be born, and there was a longer period of anticipation in the intertestamental period waiting for this Messiah, Jesus, to be born. In both cases, the, the angels announced the, the, the pending birth of these little babies. The miraculous nature of the two births is incredible. In the case of Isaac, it is two very old people past the time of bearing children. In the case of Jesus, it was an incredible conception by the Holy Spirit of God. Isaac was asked by his father to carry the wood for the sacrifice. Interesting, Jesus was asked by God the Father to carry his cross out to Golgotha. And think about the very mountain where Isaac was, was going to be sacrificed and where Jesus' cross was. It was called Mount Moriah, the land of Moriah. Verse 2 of Genesis 22, it says, one of the mountains of the land of Moriah. And many people believe, indeed, that is Mount Zion. We know that. But many people believe that it was at the very spot of Golgotha, just outside of the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus also was offered up as a sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac traveled three days to Mount Moriah. Jesus was three days in the grave. Isaac willingly gave up his life and laid on the altar. Nothing is said that that he was struggling against his father. Jesus, it says, willingly gave up his life to the Father and, and offered himself on the cross of Calvary. Isaac was between 25 and 35 years of age when this occurred. Jesus was 33 years of age when he died on the cross. 
The ram provided by God was a substitute for Abraham. And we know, the Scriptures teach us in the New Testament, that Jesus Christ is our substitute. Genesis 22.8, God Himself will provide the lamb. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. Abraham's faith that could Abraham's faith in God believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if need be. And indeed, Jesus was raised from the dead. There's so many similarities. Clearly, God wants us to think. When we read the story in the Old Testament, God wants us to think of the cross of Calvary. The difference, of course, being primarily that Isaac did not die as that lamb, as that sacrifice, but Jesus did. Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and God proved to every one of us who put our trust in him that he is our Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord, our provider. He is Christ, the Lamb of God. I want you to think about this as we get ready to go to the table of the Lord, as we get ready to gather around the Lord's table. I'm going to ask you, as the worship team uh, comes and leads us in a song, I'm going to ask you to go perhaps and get the bread and the cup that you could partake of the meal with us. And um, the, the production team has their uh, bread and cup at the back and the worship team at the front has it, I have it. And I want you to go and get that as well during this song. And as we prepare our hearts, we want to think about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. He is the one who offered himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He offered himself in the place of our sins. And we give him praise. And Jesus said, do this. Do this, this meal in remembrance of me. So we'll wait upon you now for the, for the Lord's table. Amen. I hope that uh, you who are joining us online uh, have bread and cup to uh, share in this meal that Jesus Christ, our Savior, instituted during the Last Supper with his disciples. And, and we remember the, the, the purpose of this meal. It is that we might remember the death of Christ, that on the cross of Calvary uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his life, gave his life as the provider, the, the substitute for our sins, the Jehovah Jireh. And uh, anybody who has put their faith in that sacrifice of, for sin uh, is welcome to partake of this meal. So we read on in the scripture that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And uh, so let us right now give thanks for the bread and the cup before we partake of it together. God, our Father, we thank you that you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the picture that we see of Abraham and Isaac years before, how, how that was, was a picture, Lord, of what you would do in the fullness of time when you sent your Son to this earth. And now, Lord, living on the other side of the cross and of the empty tomb, we thank you that we can look back upon that event at Golgotha, at the Mount Calvary, and we can look at it and we can understand that you, O oh Jesus, became the substitutional lamb. You became 
Lord, our, our God, our provider. And we, we come into your home, Lord. We come into your arms. We come under your refuge. We hide ourselves in Jesus Christ. And we partake of this bread today and this cup today, acknowledging that we cannot come into your presence apart from the sacrifice that you've made. And so we thank you that we can come boldly. And we partake of this bread now, thanking you for Jesus' body hung on a cross. And we take of this cup, thanking you for his shed blood. And we give you praise in your name. Amen. And would you now join me in partaking of the bread and the cup in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, what a savior. Though we are not together in space, we are together in time, and we have just had the privilege of partaking of the meal together, amen. Before we go into this next part of the sermon, let's sing this song to prepare our hearts for that. And again, for those who have any questions, please feel free to text that number, and uh, we would love to hear from you. Amen. Praise the Lord for this opportunity to uh, have a little interaction with uh, our church family and anybody else. And, and so uh, I see that there's been a couple of questions that have come in. This is our first time doing this, and so uh, thank you, Kevin Schuler, who is fielding the questions and passing them on to me. And um, <clears throat> by the way, I just want to say that... Um, uh, we are pastors first, uh, and um, this is not some kind of resident theologian that somehow gets to respond to questions. This is in no way, I love the way that John Piper defines preaching. He says, preaching is a miracle in the preacher seeking to be an agent of miracles in the, in the listeners. And, um, and so I'm just responding in the moment to the things that you're wrestling with or, or thinking about and uh, I'm sure the questions could be even bigger and better. But uh, let's start by uh, answering a question. And the question is, when Abraham says the Lord will provide on this mountain, what does he mean? Does he understand it will be Jesus' death and resurrection too, as we do? And that's a great question. I don't think so. I don't believe that when Abraham uttered those words in faith, believing that God would provide uh, a, a sacrifice instead of his son Isaac, um, so often we see in Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, where the author or the person speaking would say things, and they're being led by the, the Holy Spirit, and they don't fully understand the New Testament fulfillment of what they are uttering. And I think in this case as well, Abraham just was saying, I know God's going to provide. There's not a contradiction between his covenant uh, promise and his command, and so I'm going to trust him. This is God's problem and I think that uh, the Holy Spirit was guiding him to say that so that we would be able to look back and understand that indeed God would be the one who himself provided Jesus as well. Another question that comes, um, which I think is a great question, is this. God uses faith tests. The question is, what proactive things and practices can we do to build our faith test muscles in advance of the tests? Great question. 
What can we do in advance of the test? And I think that the physical fitness uh, analogy is a great thing. <clears throat> if you know that there is a physical fitness test, when I was young in, in school, I, we had the Canada Fitness Awards, and there was these six different things you had to do, shuttle run and, and uh, the, what's that pegboard thing and all that. And, and, and in preparation, you had to prepare for that if you were going to get a gold, a silver, or a bronze uh, medal. And so, similarly, I think you can prepare yourself for faith tests. What, how do you do that? There's probably many ways. I like what 2 Corinthians 13.5 says. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Same word. Same word that is used for testing of our faith is used here. Test yourselves. And that's the idea of what this question is getting at is that we should ask ourselves, going back to the illustration I started with, how's my driving? <laughs> we should be asking ourselves, how's my driving? How is my faith going? Am I really trusting God? How do we do that? I think, number one, that the, the, the spiritual practices that you have built into your life on a daily or on a weekly basis are incredible faith-building muscles that will prepare you for the test that's coming. I got to a stage in my life where I realized, and thanks to Daryl Penner, my physiotherapist, I got to a stage in my life where I now have to do so many minutes of stretching and exercises every evening. Every evening I do that, and my back hasn't gone out for lunch uh, for a long time, and I'm so thankful for that. But I have to maintain it, because when the day of the test comes on my back and on, on my muscles, I I'm a little bit more ready. So the, the daily practices that we can involve ourselves in are really critical. And um, I think also that must include not just the privacy of our relationship with God, reading the Scripture. I had someone, uh, the pastoral staff had someone write to us this week and said, I've just finished reading the Bible again. What do you think I should do next? And I wrote him back, and I, I just described to him a, a various approaches to how the, the whole idea of reading can be such an important part of a daily activity that prepares us to, to face the day and whatever tests are going to come that day in the Lord. Your prayer life, your reading life, your meditation, journaling, all these things are good things. But in addition to that, which are all very private, I would add to that that you must invite others into your faith journey. You must be walking in the light as Jesus is in the light. You must, and what does that mean? It means that you're not a private enterprise faith, that you're really walking it out with somebody. They know. They know if, if you've done well in the last week or two in, in, your, in your reading, in your prayer life. They know how you, if you've not done well with your family, if you've been griping, if you've been bitter, if you've You've got, a, you've got an opportunity where somebody else can ask a question of you or you of them, and, and you walk together. So I would say that's the second thing, is the practices you do privately, the things you do together with at least one or two other people, these can be incredibly important uh, part of building your faith muscle. Um, boy, I think I could say a lot more about that one. Um, you see, God is not trying to make us miserable when we face faith tests. He's not trying to just make life hard because of hard sake. He's really trying to see 
what you're made of. He's really wanting you to see what you're made of. He's really wanting you to understand that you can, you can fall into a gravitational pull comfort zone and be oblivious of the fact that your faith really isn't being exercised in God. And, um, and so uh, I also will just add one more thing. I, I remember this, this story about Corey Tenboom uh, from World War II when she and her family would go on the train. And one day, because of the, uh, the opposition that they were facing for hiding Jews in their home and being sent away, uh, she said to her father, Dad, what if, what if, will I have the courage to be a martyr if Jesus asks me to be a martyr? And, and her father wisely responded and said, when do I give you the money for the ticket when we go on the train? And she responded by saying, as soon as, just before we get on the train. And he said, that's exactly what Jesus will do for you. If Jesus ever asks you to be a martyr for him, he will give you what you need just when you need it. I thought that was a great question. And so though we can do so much to prepare for the faith tests that come, however they come, uh, we know that by the mercy of God, he's going to give us the grace we need in the moment. Let's go to a, another question here. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to read these, so, okay. Uh, why did God ask something so contrary to his own character to test Abraham's faith? Wouldn't Abraham know that God didn't want human sacrifices and be confused of what was really God's will? Wow, good question. Um, I, I think that the person that's asking this question already understands the, the answer, that, um, that God, God did know that he wasn't going to take Isaac's life. Um, I think that uh, God knew that Abraham knew that he knew it was against God's character to, to have human sacrifice. That was something that God saved him out of. And so I think that... Um, like it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, that, that Abraham reasoned that God could indeed <clears throat> raise him, raise the dead if, if need be. So I'm not sure if I've answered that very well, but let's move on. How do you think Isaac felt when he realized that he was the offering? Very good question. Do you think that he felt that he was deceived by his father? Wow, what a question. Um... I don't know that I can have the answer to that one. Um, how do you think Isaac felt when he realized that he was the offering? Nothing in the scripture suggests that, <clears throat> that he was responding with resistance to his father's leading. And he was, he's, he was not a little boy, he was a young man. And so that question, I'm going to just, uh, we, we can talk about that one some other time. I, I'm not sure how he felt. Number five, uh, how important is it to speak about our learned faith lessons to others and to our families. Whoa, great question, huge question. I think it's, it's of, of utmost importance. In fact, I think that's what testimonies should be made out of. Testimonies should not be only about what happened 30 years ago when I was saved. Testimonies should be living examples, fresh bread, right out of the oven of how God has heated up my life and tested my faith, and, now, and, and the result is that I'm, I'm grateful to him. I'm thankful to him. I see his provision. He is Jehovah Jireh in my life. So this question, I think, is valuable. 
It's very important to speak with our loved ones about a living faith. When we come around the supper table, you know, with family we haven't seen for a while, and and we just say the same old prayer and we talk about the same old things, no, we should be saying, hey, what's God been up to? How has he made your life victorious? How has he brought you through? What answered prayer do you see? That's a great question. Next one, your thoughts. Tests are from God to build our faith. Temptations are from the enemy to tear down our faith. Um, good, I think that actually, there's no question there, but, but I anticipated that this might be a question And the question being, is there a difference between the testing of our faith and temptation? And I think that's, this person is is identifying that, that they're different. Clearly they're different for in James chapter 1, we read in verse 13 that, um, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then when that desire is conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grows, brings forth death. So so clearly the writer of James is saying that God does not tempt. We know Satan tempts. And so the interesting thing about this question, though, is that the same word is used for both of the word tempt and the word test. And it is the context that determines in the English translation whether it's going to be translated as tempt or test. Lead us not into temptation. That's the same word, pyrazo, testing. Lead us not into testing. Or no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. No testing has seized you except what is... And God is faithful to give you a way out. You see, the point is, is that that the same word is used, but Satan will tempt you with the intent of wanting you to fall into sin, and God will test you with the intent of only revealing how deep is the faith, how, what is the, the faith metal made of. And so he is not asking or thinking or expecting you to fall. And I think that, again, we have pictures of that. We have the picture of Job. Job, Satan wandering around and saying, oh, look at Job. He only obeys you because of what you do for him. And so God allows Satan to have a certain access. In God's mind, he is testing the faith of Job. In Satan's mind, he is tempting him to fall. Same with Paul, the apostle. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of who? Satan. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Where does Paul go with that? Paul goes to God. He said, I asked the Lord to deliver me three times. And he said each time, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so we see the interplay where God does not tempt. He will test us. Satan certainly tempts us. And we can be tempting in our own way. We can lead ourselves into temptation when we follow the desires of the flesh. Let's take a look at another question. Number seven, do you think that sometimes our faith tests are for those who are watching us? Wow. Very good question. Very good question. I wonder if, just, if, you, if you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11. 
To answer that question, I just want to refer to this scripture. And uh, this will be the last question that we take today. In, uh, in Hebrews 11, look at verse 13. Hebrews eleven thirteen. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I think what this scripture talks about is that real faith tests enable us to see life as sojourners, to see our lives as pilgrims, and to see that we are strangers and exiles on this earth. And I think that if we live that way, then others will see that our faith tests help us um, to be a good testimony. I think that when, when we live as sojourners, exiles, strangers in this land, we're not so bound by money, bound by things, bound by having to have everybody like us or whatever. When we somehow show that we are connected to a higher identity, a higher calling, a higher trajectory, a future hope, a God that is our ballast in life, when we have that in our lives, I think then that when we face faith tests and others see us go through them, it is that component of having a sojourning faith that enables us to, to bear the best witness of you need to follow Jesus because I'm following him and my life is, is great. You know, I can laugh the laugh of the redeemed like we talked about last week because Jesus gives me that laughter. I think that we indeed, this last question is a great place to end, that sometimes our faith tests are for those watching us. God never does one thing at a time. God is always doing so many things at once. And at the same time that he is, he is strengthening the muscle of your faith, taking you into tests and out of tests, he is also doing it for those that are watching. How's mom going to respond to this? How's dad going to do with this? How's grandpa dealing with the loss? How's my friend that professes to be a Christian dealing with grief differently than, than someone else? Wow, good questions. Um, praise the Lord. Let me just take some time to conclude our service with prayer. And, and for those of you that sent questions in, thank you so much for being part of the sermon today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our God, now we just conclude this service with uh, asking you, Lord, to help us in our, in our faith journey, to recognize that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and you're everything in between. God, and so in the in-between days right now as we're living it out, we sometimes fail the faith tests and we sometimes pass them, but Lord, you're the constant. You're the coach. You're the trainer. You're the one that is, is always by our side. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, that, that because of your faithfulness, 
we will grow in faith and we will stand the, the tests of faith and we, we will find a faith that is proven genuine at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when you return, Lord. We thank you for this. And I pray now the blessing of God the Father, the, the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with each one now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.